Hello, homies. This is such a great episode. I just had to squeeze it in before the end of 2021. For those of you heading off on holidays, maybe long road trips and want an amazing podcast to listen to, especially if you know or have children with childhood developmental issues or any sort of behavioral challenges. Because our guest today, Anke Zimmermann, is a professional homeopath and ex-naturopathic doctor. Now, why there is an X part at the start of the naturopathic doctor, but you are going to have to go hop on her website. She has an explanation there. Now, Anka has a special interest in childhood developmental and behavioral challenges for the past 30 years, and she has learned that the majority of these challenges are multifactorial in nature. They include inherited predispositions, traumatic events, and toxic stresses during the pre- and perinatal period, as well as traumatic events and toxic stresses during infancy and childhood, especially vaccines and a lot of pharmaceutical medications. Successful homeopathic management ideally includes recognition and management of all of these factors. And Anka lives in beautiful Sook on Vancouver Island, and she has an international online practice. You can reach her at ankazimmerman.net, and we'll link that in the show notes. Now, I was very jealous because I went to Vancouver Island many years ago, and I really, really miss the snow. We obviously don't have any of that here in Perth. So, Anka, please make a beautiful snow angel for me and send me a photo. I'll be there in the spirit. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout podcast, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies. Today, we get to chat with homeopath Anka Zimmerman, all the way from Vancouver. Welcome, Anka. Hi, Eugenie. Uh, It's so lovely to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. I feel very honored. Well, I'm the one that's feeling honored to have you on because with your 30 years of experience and all the interesting topics we're going to be talking about today, that's very close to my heart. I can't wait for us to dig into this. And we're going to be chatting about uh, childhood developmental disorders and behavioral challenges today. But maybe before we get stuck in, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you first discovered homeopathy? Well, that's an interesting story. So I... um... I, be, I decided to become a naturopathic doctor and I uh, had just taken three years of pre-med in order to qualify for the naturopathic college and two years of training in the naturopathic college. So the first two years are very much like med school, basically the same topics, the same textbooks, but it's all like biology, physiology, pathology, laboratory tests, and so on. And then uh, starting with the third year, we were introduced to the alternative modalities including nutrition, botanical medicine, acupuncture, and wait for it, homeopathy. (laughs) And I could not wrap my head around it. It was such a shock to my system. You know, I thought this is completely unscientific. I just wasted five years of my life. And now they're going to turn us into, into quacks. Like Mm -hmm. I, I was this close to dropping out. I almost quit because I couldn't get my head around this whole ultra high dilution potentization system and so on. So then the main supplier of homeopathic remedies in Canada at the time came and visited the school. There were only 13 students in my year, by the way, and gave us all a little first aid kit with basic remedies. So a few nights later, I came down in the middle of the night with a very severe left-sided tonsillitis. I woke up with extreme pain in my throat. And I'm feeling for it and I can feel the lump. I looked in the mirror. My left tonsil was the size of a golf ball. It just 
exploded just like that. And I thought, what am I going to do? You know, it was late, like in the middle of the night. I was sharing a house with other people. I didn't want to wake them up. So then I thought, wait a minute, uh, the homeopathy teacher, we just went over colds and flus and sore throats. Mm, and he said something about left-sided versus right-sided sore mm-hmm. throat. <laughs> wait a minute. Oh, no, left-sided. Oh, I think it was made from a snake venom. <laughs> so that didn't exactly help my face. But at least I knew that it was all diluted out, right? I thought, okay, I'm just going to take a look. So I looked into the first aid kit and Lachesis mutus mm-hmm. happened to be there. I took a couple of pellets, put one on my tongue, and in about three minutes, I felt a whole lot better. Wow. It was like magic. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, what is this? So I'm lying down in bed again. And at some point I drifted off to sleep, woke up in the morning and I'm like, just a minute, something, something <laughs> happened last night. Wait a minute, my throat. Oh, check. Oh, tonsil is almost back to normal again. What happened? It was huge. I could barely swallow. I took their little pellets. Oh my goodness, this worked. Okay. I swear it was a, an act of divine intervention. Like I was literally mm. about to drop out of the whole program because of homeopathy. And then mm. this happened. I'd tell you what, throughout history, the past 200 plus years, skeptics have made the best homeopaths, haven't they? <laughs> yeah, true. We've got several it's stories like that. Mm-hmm, of absolutely. Course. Of course, amazing. of course. He actually did the Lachesis remedy too. Oh, did he? I didn't know that that was. Herring, yeah, Herring did. So then I became obsessed with homeopathy instead. Fell madly in love. Married it. <laughs> still married and still madly enough. And uh, in my fourth year of practice, I met someone who claimed to have cured his son from autism with natural methods. And I was highly intrigued by that. For somebody I dated, we went out a couple of times, but he told me this and I thought, this is really interesting. So at the time, we were supposed to write a thesis on some topic. You know? And I chose the biological treatment of autism. And then somehow the college changed their mind. We didn't have to write it, but I was already halfway done and found it rather interesting. And back then, you know, we're talking 30 years ago, autism rates were like one in 10,000 or something. Mm. Not like now, it's more like one in 35. Mm. Anyway, the bug stuck. And uh, when I graduated, I quickly developed a special interest in those kinds of situations, you know, so uh, any sort of developmental and behavioral situations with children. And you probably know of uh, Judith Reichenberg Allman and her husband, I forget his first Mm -hmm. name now, um, Robert Allman. Mm -hmm. And they had published a number of very interesting books, right, Mm -hmm. on homeopathy for kids with ADD and rage. Ritalin-free kids. Ritalin-free kids. Mm -hmm. I read that and it was like, just sucked it up. And I knew that's what I wanted to do. So ever since then, I've had this passion for these kinds of situations. And I saw lots and lots of these kids. And then about 10 or 11 years ago, I came across the book by Tina Smith's Autism Beyond Despair. You probably know that one as well, right? Mm -hmm. And up until that time, I mean, I was doing relatively well, but there were a few kids with autism that I couldn't help. And, And they still they still play on my mind to this day actually because one of them was so severe like he would smear everything with feces and mm. it was a, a, a real disaster I, I couldn't help him at all and um, 
I read this book and all of a sudden, literally overnight, my toolbox quadrupled. It was like, vroom, curtains mm -hmm. opened. Up until that point, I had not thought that vaccines had anything to do with autism or other developmental disorders or antibiotics or Tylenol or any of those things, but definitely not vaccines. Now, I didn't vaccinate my own child, but I wasn't exactly really informed or a skeptic. So I'm reading this book and I'm my whole world kind of, I had to do a 180, right? Because I was not, I didn't realize that uh, mm -hmm. particularly vaccines could be potentially so detrimental. Mm -hmm. So then I did a deep dive into the, the vaccine safety universe. And now I've logged about 10,000 hours there. Wow. It's like falling into a black hole again, mm -hmm. not being able to climb out. Mm -hmm. But ever since then, my results with these kinds of cases have been so much better. And now my practice is pretty much only children with developmental and behavioral challenges. And a very large number of them are vaccine injured or partially vaccine injured. Mm -hmm. And I like yeah. And I'm sure those mothers are just loving being able to come to somebody who listened to their story because I have lost count of the amount of mothers that's sitting on the opposite side of my desk in tears because no doctor will acknowledge that their developmentally normal child went in for their routine vaccinations and came mm -hmm. out and had lost their eye contact and their speech mm -hmm. and was screaming uncontrollably. And mm -hmm. I can never understand why we are not allowed to talk about this when the same companies that have produced medications that have had mm -hmm. big lawsuits against them. And we can talk about that. We can talk about side effects of heart medication, side effects mm -hmm. of any, any sort of cholesterol medication, um, mm -hmm. seizure medication. We can talk about that. And it's never a big hoo-ha. But when we talk about vaccinations, which is just another mm -hmm. medication, suddenly people go ballistic. And I wish we could just use our rational minds and ask, why is this? Because what we're being told and what we're seeing in the clinic are two mm. different things. Mm. So maybe you can talk to us a little bit about the types of cases that you see in your clinic, Anka, and maybe also how they've changed over the years, over three decades. You've probably seen things change a little bit. Very much so. So the cases are much more complex, for mm. sure. Also, I understand that they are much more complex. Perhaps that's a better way of saying it. Although I remember when I first started, I got really good results with classical homeopathy a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Not all the time, but a lot of the time. And now I find that there are more layers, actually. And again, also, it's partially my awareness, because back then, you know, I didn't realize that some of these kids had been exposed to this or that, and that might be part of their, their challenge, you know. But I think overall, the children are much less healthy. The amount of children I see with these conditions, and also the, the number of children I see in the world, for example... I have a little uh, apartment here in my house that I rent out and I've had three families here now with young children, half or sometimes three out of four of these kids were definitely injured mm. and couldn't speak properly. Like there are all these kids that can't talk properly. Mm. That's mostly vaccine injury. So I think the numbers have skyrocketed. Now things are not looking so great right now for mm. the poor kids. Mm. And do you think there are certain predispositions that may mean that yes, one child yes. might be affected and not another? Oh, yeah. So my understanding now after doing this for so many years is that, number one, the majority of these kids that are really challenged, they are born with certain predispositions and they're not necessarily genetic. I think of them more as epigenetic. Mm. 
when I found out that there's this new field in biology called epigenetics, maybe 10 or more years ago, it was like this sudden aha experience because in homeopathy, of course, we've known about miasms for a long time, right? Very long time, at least 100 years, 150 Mm -hmm. maybe. So that's a predisposition we're talking about. And um, what I see over and over again in, in the particularly in the children that develop autism is a tubercular miasm. Okay. And one of the things I do is I, I look at baby photos. Very helpful to help identify what kind of miasm the child is in. So the tubercular kids often have unusually large heads and uh, a lot of hair, like a low hairline, hair on their forehead, large, uh, long eyelashes, very pretty, sometimes hair on their ears, hair going down their back. So those are all clues of a tubercular predisposition. And that is partly, in my opinion, what makes them more susceptible. So they're already tubercular, which makes them more susceptible to allergies and also infections, as well as malabsorption. Mm. So now you have a perfect storm situation where this poor little child is already born, not able to absorb nutrients as well. Their immune system is more reactive. Mm. And then they get jabbed every couple of months. Okay. And maybe also, maybe here in Canada, for example, it's cold and dark in the winter, low vitamin D levels, Mm. also aggravates the immune system. And then you have a situation where the immune system can easily become overreactive and basically create like inflammatory and autoimmune changes, which we then also call autism. Mm -hmm. So predispositions are a big one. Okay. You can also see what I've also seen is um, predispositions because of emotional trauma and ancestors. And what I'm also seeing now is I've seen one case actually, um, where the child wasn't vaccinated at all, but had symptoms of vaccine injury. For example, she was toe walking. Mm. He had a clear tubercular predisposition and she had malabsorption. Parents were in the organic food business and had done a number of hair analysis tests on this child because she had uh, a pretty severe caries mm. at a very young age, like all her teeth were rotting out. And she never ate any sugar. She was never vaccinated. No antibiotics, only organic food, best of the best. She couldn't absorb her nutrients. So they brought her in and immediately I said, I know what this is, the hair, you know, the head, like she had the most beautiful hair. Anyway, and I noticed she's toe walking. I said, mm-hmm. you know, you realize she's toe walking. Yes. Well, um, that's kind of strange because I know she's not vaccinated, but I see this a lot in kids who have been vaccinated. She says, well, no, no vaccine. I said, well, what about you? What about you as a parent? So the mom said, I was in the military for many years. Mm, Would have had everything. So she got Mm. everything, right? Everything. She gave me a list of all the vaccines she had in the military. This was before, years before she conceived her daughter. Mm. And then we went and for about a year, we tried every vaccine that the mom had. The uh, hepatitis B vaccine helped the child eat more. She had a much better appetite after that and grew more. And then a few months later, so we did one at a time, right? MMR, DPT, meningitis, blah, blah, blah. Typhoid, boom, the feet came down. No. The ones, nothing. Seriously, MMR, nothing. Still wow. toe walking. Meningitis, toe walking. Typhoid, boom, feet came down, stayed mm. down. Mm. The typhoid vaccine her mother had 
few years before mm -hmm. she even conceived the child had an effect on the child. And who knows what's going on with us now? Like we've had, you know, two, three generations of people vaccinated now. So I think a lot of this is also cumulative. It's been passed on from, from ancestors. So that's a really good question. And, you know, again, I carefully look for that. I look for in basic miasms. Again, most of the time with autism, it's tubercular. Mm. But the psychotic miasm with metarhinone is very common also. So it's carcinosin. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You've just made me think of something I hadn't thought about for a while, but when my son was about two or three, he's now 10 and he's never been vaccinated, never had any medications. He's the healthiest kid ever, but there were some behavioral things going on. And I was reading Dr. Isaac Golden's book, Vaccine Damaged Children at the mm -hmm. time. I don't like the mm -hmm. word damage. I prefer the word injury, yeah. but anyway, and he mentioned there about how each of the vaccine remedies have their own remedy picture. And the DTP vaccination really fitted my son's picture. And even though he's never had a vaccination I gave him the remedy and I couldn't believe the difference it made in him <gasps> funny enough there is a baby photo of me at three months old sitting on my mum's lap me crying and my mum sitting there with this big smile like proud parent just took Eugenie for her DTP vaccination today she's a little bit unwell but my mum's so proud of her herself she did the right thing and there's little three months old me sitting there bawling my eyes out and I have this photo of me at three months old so it was so interesting that this remedy has such a profound effect on my son who has never had a vaccine in his life so when you said that it just made me think of that story and for the childhood um, developmental delays that's something I see a lot I have a little mm -hmm. client at the moment he's seven and he is severely mm -hmm. delayed and mm -hmm. um, we've used some homeopathy with him with limited success but the parents are mm -hmm. now going to medicate him and mm -hmm. um, you know I feel so sorry for this child there's definitely something more going on there and you know it's all part of the pieces of the puzzle but what sort of developmental delays do you see any particular predispositions for that what sort of results have you seen in your clinic okay so developmental disorders or delays this it's a very large grab bag full of classifications right mm -hmm. most people are familiar with autism and adhd but there's sensory processing mm -hmm. disorder uh, auditory processing learning disabilities which is a whole bunch of other things again like dyslexia dysgraphia dyscalculia speech uh, delays and articulation mm -hmm. disorders um, all of those things fall into that category. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's global developmental mm -hmm. delay. The child is just really slow to develop. That's what this boy has, yeah, oh, global okay. developmental delay. Oh, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen all of it. I've seen lots and hundreds and hundreds of these cases. And quite frankly, all of mine get better. Mm -hmm. Amazing. I'm not going to claim cure anything. The young ones, definitely uh, they improve faster. And as long as the parents continue you know, half the time, the problem is more getting the parents on board, you know, because it's a challenging process, mm. especially when you have regular, you need to have regular appointments and they have mm. to be very observant and write on what they gave and when and so on and so on. Mm. But I have quite a lot of parents where we have this really close collaborative relationship and those children are just getting better and better and better. It's astonishing. Mm. I'm so oh, glad this. you've said that because this family I've seen twice a year for the past three years. So oh, it's no, not really good. enough to really help anyone. But so no. what, what other what other things have you found really helpful with families that you've had really good success with? What sort of things can our listeners do if, if they decide to engage with a homeopath for a condition mm -hmm. like this? What sort of things can they do to make sure they get good results? Okay. Number one, you need to, we need to have a very 
detailed, exact history. And I mean, mm-hmm. most homeopaths are trained to do that anyway. But um, I actually had a client the other day who has who was seen, the child was seen by a number of homeopaths, but they never really inquired about the pregnancy that the mother had. And I dig into that. So let me just rewind for a moment. These conditions, most of the time, are multifactorial. Number one, some predisposition. Number two, something went sideways during the pregnancy, labor, or delivery. And I mean, that a lot of things can go wrong, right? It's a very vulnerable period of time, both for the child and the mother. Many different things can happen in terms of traumas and exposures, you name it, I've heard mm-hmm. it. And that can impact the child for life. And then the child is born, potentially with two strikes against them. And those children, okay, those children are very vulnerable then to the adverse effects of of vaccines, for example, or antibiotics or anesthesia, okay? Mm. But because not every child who gets vaccinated gets autism, obviously, but some do. And why do some children do and why why do others don't? Mm. And all the kids under my care who developed autism, which is the worst case scenario, really, things happened on all of those levels, like predisposition, 75% tubercular, and you can see it in the baby photos. And then some drama, something terrible during the pregnancy, labor and delivery, like shocks, trauma, any number of things. One of my clients, she got an epidural and she went into shock, like right there on the table in the hospital. And she was just shaking and shivering. Her system was in shock. You know, another one, her uterus ruptured. Her child, she has two children with autism. Second one, uterus ruptured during the labor, like things like that happen to these poor people, right? Then the child is born. Now, already, like I said earlier, they have two strikes against them. And then when they get all these vaccines and so on, they're not doing very well with them. So the point is that these cases are complex and a very careful history needs to be taken, looking at what happened during pregnancy, labor and delivery, actually what happened to the parents before they even had the child, right? Like what were they doing? What was their lifestyle? What things were they exposed to, et cetera? And then what happened to the child? Like, what were they like? What were they exposed to? What are the names of the vaccines they had? The antibiotics. I make my parents jump through hoops, actually, to give me as much detail as possible. Mm. And then you can do a good job because now you have a complete history or or as complete as you're going to get, right? Mm. That's the most important thing is a very nice, complete history, looking at all of these kinds of factors. And if clients go to their homeopath knowing that this is the type of stuff that they need to know, like preparing themselves. Mm-hmm. So like you said, yes. you know, were they on any medications before they conceived or during? Right. What type of work did they do? Were they exposed mm-hmm. to any chemicals in yes. their job? Was there any stress? What was their relationships like with the people around them? Was it a wanted pregnancy or was there any thoughts about yes. maybe, you know, terminating the baby? All of these sorts of things. And I think people who are not familiar with homeopathy will never realize the depth of information that we need. And Sometimes it can be something that they might think is trivial. Actually, there was a lady that I gave lysinum to. And and when I told her what it was, she said, well, that's so interesting because a dog, uh, jumped up on them during their pregnancy. And then, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. So, or maybe I gave it to the boy. Sorry, I can't remember all the details now, but it was just very interesting because sometimes it can be those tiny little things that happened Mm pre-conception or during birth, or maybe it was lots of 
rounds of IVF before they yes. mm-hmm. conceived, or maybe there was a miscarriage beforehand. And, you know, maybe the mum or the dad was still grieving about that, or maybe there was some bad news, or there's so many things that um, we need to know that really helps us to find mm-hmm. that right remedy. So many things, mm-hmm. so many things. Oh my God. It's hard to pick out a few, a few mm-hmm. pieces, <laughs> but you just mentioned the word lacinum. I give it quite often, actually. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. A couple of days ago, I gave this remedy. And this is an ongoing case, this particular child. He's now 10. He's been working with me for, well, parents have been working with me for about a year and a half. He was very severely autistic when we started. No, almost no language, not mm-hmm. toilet trained, very, very aggressive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Couldn't do any academics. Now he's like a different child. He's no longer aggressive. He's toilet trained. He can talk quite well. Like he can express himself. But we've gone through many, many different phases. And uh, we talk usually every two weeks. Okay. So again, like, how do you get results? You have close collaboration mm. with these complex cases. The symptoms change frequently. This child has had like a long list of remedies. So recently he went through a whole phase of ticks. He suddenly developed neck and eye ticks and it was very severe. Took a couple of tries before I got the remedy, gave him cuprum, boom, stopped. Mm. Uh, sometime earlier, he suddenly started uh, spitting everywhere and, and peeing on the furniture. I knew the remedy. Harsiamus instant, instantly mm. stopped. And now what happened is he suddenly couldn't swallow and, and was spitting a lot and was literally almost foaming at the mouth and peeing all over the place again in the forest, mm. but not in the house. Like every five minutes he was peeing while they were going on a hike. And some other interesting things happened. So anyway, all of a sudden I'm thinking of uh, lucinum and I'm explaining it to the mom. And of course, one of the reasons we might give lucinum is when somebody's been tortured, right? It's not just dog bite or rabies vaccine or something like that. It can be very useful in a situation where somebody's been exposed to abuse, so ongoing mm-hmm. abuse situation, kind of like a torture situation, right? Mm-hmm. Could be a domestic abuse, could be child abuse, could be prisoner of war, anything like that. So I'm explaining this to the mom and all of a sudden she almost starts crying. She says, I think we tortured him when we took him to ABA, like Mm. the ABA people would come and they would tear him away from the parents. And Mm. the child would just scream and cry. Like he was maybe three or four. And every time, every time, and their Mm. parents felt so bad, but you know, of course we are trained to think that this is good for them somehow. And the child probably felt tormented and tortured. And now this level is coming up a year and a half into, into us working with him. So I'm excited to see what will happen now. Hopefully this will release that particular trauma from his system and he'll get even better. You know, mm. oh, he can like draw now and things like that. He couldn't do any mm. of that a year and a half ago. I assume that you explain to the clients the remedies that you're giving yes, to them and why, them. because from what you've just said, and I do exactly the same. And it's amazing how that can really help a client put together the pieces of the puzzle. Right. And often as I'm reading the remedy that I'm about to give to them out mm-hmm. to them, you can sometimes almost see a visceral response in that person, but also the other way around. Like if I read a remedy out to a person and I could see there's no response then, and I know, okay, maybe I'm not on the right track. So mm-hmm. it's nice mm-hmm. that you do that with your clients. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners, the remedy lysinum or hydrophobinum is made mm-hmm. From mm-hmm. the a saliva of a rabid dog. So, you know, mm-hmm. we have such interesting remedies. Hey. Now, Anka, have you ever found that you have to use pharmaceutical medication alongside homeopathics? Well, I don't, but sometimes the child is on something. Like mm. some of the ADD, ADHD children might be on, on some medication. I don't take them off. As they get better, they can usually reduce the medication. Like the parents realize, the doctor realizes, okay, this child's getting better. They mm-hmm. can reduce the medication or maybe stop it. But I and don't give 
medication, obviously. Mm-hmm. And do you ever see any side effects in your clinic from the medication that you then have to use homeopathic oh, yes. for side effects? Oh, yes, all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so recently I got a new client. She's like 13 or 14-year-old girl who was given Prozac for depression mm-hmm. and she developed severe intrusive thoughts, mm-hmm. severe intrusive thoughts of being I believe a bad person, something along those lines. They were very distressing. This had been going on for several months and somehow they found me and the mom tells me this. And I said, oh, we should try homeopathic Prozac. Mm-hmm. So that's what we did. Boom, mm-hmm. a couple of doses, that was it. Like she's fine. She mm-hmm. no longer has this distressing uh, mental state like that. That's a nice message to give out to our listeners as well, because quite often if somebody needs to be on pharmaceutical medication mm-hmm. um, in a life-threatening situation or they, their doctor doesn't feel it's safe for them to come off it, we can actually mm-hmm. give them the homeopathic remedy made from the drug itself to help yes. counteract some of the side effects. And I have a similar Prozac story to yours, but sometimes it blows my mind how these remedies made from the drugs themselves can just be so helpful for a person to help them in their healing journey. Mm-hmm. So incredibly helpful. I got this young man under my care now. I don't remember how he found me, but he found me. And he's in his 20s, late 20s. When he was a teenager, he was given some sort of immunosuppressant for something, some rash or something like that. And what happened from that is he couldn't feel his emotions the same way anymore. And he shared this with me. And I said, Oh, he knew the, the name of the medication. I can't remember it right now. I said, we can probably get that as a homeopathic remedy. And we did. I ordered it from the pharmacy for him. He got it. And he is feeling way more like he used to again. We had like his emotions were dulled and suppressed. He couldn't feel himself the same way from this medication, an immunosuppressant. Another one that I've used it for was for the anti-seizure drug Kepra, which can have some really bad side effects, especially in with anger. So you've got these little two, three-year-old children on, on the anti-seizure medication, but they have these incredible anger outbursts. So then you use the homeopathic remedy made from Kepra to give that to the child alongside because they often can't come off the medication. So just to help counteract those side effects. Have you got any other stories from your clinic that you'd like to share with us? Oh, lots. Oh, man, I've got so many. A lot of stories of children who were vaccine injured mm. uh, and were speech delayed and or autism. There's something I want to share. This is um, a story that I've shared many times. This was one of my first cases when I became interested in this new way of treating, which includes using remedies made from vaccines, antibiotics, anesthetics, medications, and so on. Okay. So early morning, one day, my phone's ringing and I usually I lived and worked in the same place. Eight o'clock in the morning, pick up the phone. Hello, Anka. We're very worried. We're thinking our son is becoming autistic. I'm like, wow, what happened? So what happened was that he had received his 12-month-old vaccines in December of that year. It was like a few years ago. And, uh, and within about three or four weeks, he developed eruptions around the uh, injection site on his arm where he got the MMR and chickenpox vaccines. And over the next two, three weeks, the one that was around the chickenpox injection site just grew. And then about a month later, his whole body was covered in patches of this, what looked like eczema. And the family doctor actually diagnosed him with an adverse vaccine injury. Now, another month later, he suddenly started getting diarrhea, black and green tarry stools, lost eye contact, stopped babbling, started banging his head, Mm. refused all food except meat and milk, and was just a mess, you know, crying all the time, irritable, banging his head. 
And that's where they were at. He had stopped walking. He couldn't walk anymore. He had already been walking. They reverted to crawling. And that's what just happened. So he had just, he was 15 months old. This had just happened. I saw them the same day. They drove up. They were here on the island, up island. They drove down to my office a couple hours. And I saw this child and uh, immediately <laughs> gave him tuberculinum because he had a craving only for meat and milk. Mm-hmm. And he was banging his head. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it turns out he was also grinding his teeth, but they didn't tell me about that at the time. Mm-hmm. And then I sent them home with the homeopathic remedy made from the chicken pox vaccine, because that's where it really erupted initially. Right. So this was interesting because here we have what happens so often. It's, it's quite uncommon to have a pretty severe reaction right after the vaccination, even though there are thousands and thousands and thousands of reported cases Mm. online and in the literature. Much more common, about 95% more common, is a delayed reaction. So the child gets their shots, nothing special happens right away, but gradually over time, they deteriorate. And because when they're really young, they get shots every couple of months, like two months old, four months, six Mm. months, then at a, a year, then sometimes again at 15 or 18 months, there can be three months time delay. The child already got the next shot and then there's another three months. So, you know, very often by the time autism is often diagnosed or noticed when the child is 15 to 18 months old, right? The parents mm-hmm. notice they lost their words. They are not making eye contact anymore. Their digestion is off. They can't sleep properly anymore. And that's what happens. There's this time delay. And of course, it doesn't show up in the literature because none of the vaccines on the childhood schedule, as you probably know, have ever been monitored in clinical studies for more than a few days or weeks. Mm. The longest that's been monitored was the MMR vaccine and only for six weeks. Mm. So nothing's been monitored for two, three, four months, never mind years. Mm. So if a child develops an adverse reaction three months after they had the shot, nobody realizes, number one, that there's a connection and there's nothing in the literature that the the doctors can refer to. Mm. So it's not known, okay? Mm -hmm. But in clinical practice, we see it. Mm -hmm. I just have to add in there, when they do the trials, it's never with a true placebo. They use an (laughs) adjuvant-based vaccination for the control group. So it's never a a true trial, but that's a whole other conversation. No, and Mm. you know, when I fell into the the black hole of vaccine safety science, I was Mm -hmm. just horrified. Mm. at what passes as science mm. when they're always complaining about us not having double blind placebo control trials <laughs> and here they are giving children these vaccines there's no control group at all because mm. you know one child gets that one group gets the vaccine the other one gets maybe just the adjuvants or mm-hmm. they get another vaccine mm-hmm. right like, okay maybe they got the mmr and this one's got the dpt but Where's the saline group? And then they're not even looking for very long. Like the hepatitis B vaccine, which the children here in in the US, I have a lot of US US clients, most of them get at birth. Mm, Same in Australia. Four and five days, that's it. Clinical Mm. studies. Oh, if the child dies on day six, oh, it wasn't a vaccine because nobody Mm. looked. So this little boy, I got an email two days after he took the tuberculinum. He was already better, actually. He stopped banging his head. And then uh, he took the remedy from the chickenpox vaccine and he just got better and better and better. And over, it took about um, two years to complete the healing where he was completely stable, Mm. but he completely recovered, fortunately. And uh, he's now a very happy, healthy seven or eight year old boy. I get updates every once in a while. Oh, that's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And 
the uh, enormous amount of pressure that it puts on the mm. family unit when you have mm. a child like this, seeing a little, you know, 15 month old banging their head, that's very traumatic. And the pressure that puts on the family dynamics, I mean, the divorce rates in families oh, yeah. with children with autism is much higher than those without. Much so higher. it's very, very stressful. Yeah. It's super stressful. And a lot of those kids have aggression issues. Mm. So one thing I found homeopathy to be very, very effective for is aggression in children. Mm. I have never had a failure, literally. I've seen so many kids over the years with aggression issues. Like very often it's something like stramonium or belladonna. I've seen lucinum a few times, Mm -hmm. but aggression issues are relatively easy to address and if you don't address them, those kids end up on antipsychotic medications. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Have you got any other cases you can share with us? Okay, I want to I want to share something about ultrasounds, actually. Mm. So it's a very interesting situation. Ultrasounds are very routine during pregnancy. And I didn't think much of it until I had a case where all the child ever had that we could pin anything on, I have had lots of autism cases almost all boys, four or five girls, all of them, except one, it's a new case, had eight or nine ultrasounds in utero. Wow. So isn't that strange that, you know, I've had several hundred autism cases of boys, Mm. only a handful of girls, all but one of them had multiple, like much more than normal ultrasound exposures. That is peculiar. And I am routinely now using a homeopathic remedy made from ultrasound. And not just for uh, these issues, like recently, it's only been a month or so, I was contacted by a family of a two and a half year old girl who was very difficult to handle, very reactive, intense emotions, aggressive, not sleeping well, wasn't vaccinated. The only thing I could find, the mom had several ultrasounds more than normal. And on top of that, we're talking about the ultrasounds because we're having this conversation. Oh, what could it be? Ultrasounds. The mom tells me she was actually working as an ultrasound technician oh. during the pregnancy. So she was exposed to ultrasound all the time. Mm. We gave the child ultrasound 30C, two doses, had a follow-up. She's like a different child. She's about 75% better. So there's a proving. There are a couple of provings of ultrasound. I'm not sure if you've Familiar with them. I didn't know there was approving of it, but it's a yeah. remedy I use often. I if I have mums, yeah. pregnant mums going in for their ultrasounds, I get mm-hmm. them to take ultrasound 200 C just before they go and another mm-hmm. dose afterwards, and then eight hourly just for three doses. So just yeah. just to try to, you know, negate yeah. any of the effects of it. Oh, of course. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely brilliant. It's so wonderful that you're doing this. You're helping mm-hmm. these children so much. Now a lot of those kids, you know, they already have this problem, but um, mm. it works like a charm for some of them. In the proving, some interesting things came up. For example, a feeling of uh, being extremely restless. And very often in the ultrasound situation, the babies try to get away from the ultrasound. Mm. Like they don't like it, you know? Mm. So some of the main themes that came out in the proving were extreme restlessness, feeling invaded feeling bombarded with radiation, I said, almost like being in Star Wars, Mm. not being sure of the sense of self and uh, violated, things like that. But the restlessness, one person said, it's like they had drunk eight cups of coffee and that's what it does to them. And how many kids do we have that are restless and have uh, ADHD and things like that? 
That is very interesting. Yeah. And did you say that you have a case of vitamin K as well? Yes, vitamin K. So as luck has it, like when you see so many of these types of cases, sometimes you get lucky and the child was only exposed to one thing, right? Mm. Now, most of these poor kids we see have been exposed to all kinds of things, ultrasound and medications during pregnancy and epidural and induction and vaccines and antibiotics and vitamin K and so on. So it's just like a big stew, you know, Mm. but once in a blue moon, somebody comes in and we know the child only had one thing. Mm. So I was taking care of this little girl a few years back. She had a great deal of trouble sleeping and was very reactive Mm. and easily, very moody, easily upset. And we tried for about two years with homeopathy. She did quite well on tuberculinum. It always helped her, but it didn't clear it. And one day I posted something on my Facebook page about vitamin K. I don't even remember what it was, but it was Mm. some skeptical. It was saying, you know, vitamin K might cause these problems. And the mom called me and she said, you know what? I wonder if that had something to do with our daughter's situation because she had the vitamin K shot. I said, wow, that's really interesting. Mm. We should try it in homeopathic form. So we did. We got the remedy made, homeopathic remedy made from vitamin K. Mm-hmm. And that child, she had a nasty aggravation where she was up like for a whole night. Mm-hmm. And then she turned around and she was like a different child after that. She could sleep. She was no longer moody. And she had energy in the afternoons. The parents forgot to tell me she was always really exhausted before in the afternoon, probably because she, probably because she wasn't sleeping that much. But now she had energy and she was much more mellow and she was just so much better. Mm-hmm. All of these issues from one vitamin K shot. And it's amazing because Hep B and vitamin K are given here at birth in Australia. And of course, it's your brand new baby. So you don't know what is normal and not normal for this child. You have no idea. It gets a little bit easier, you know, once they're a year or 18 months, I guess, to really start seeing the differences because often they have some language or they're walking, that sort of thing. But when it's your baby has literally just been born and it's getting two injections, it can be really hard to know whether that was a triggering factor in anything. Anka, what message do you want to get out there for people listening to this episode right now who might have a child with developmental issues or behavioral challenges or things like that? What message do you want to get across for them? Well, I want to get across the message that your child can be helped. I very, very rarely have lack of success. And that's not because of me personally, it's because of the method. I think people are well advised to read this book by Tino Smith's Autism Beyond Despair, okay? Also the book by Isaac Golden, Vaccine Damaged Children. Tinos talks about all these other things as well, like the effects of anesthetics, antibiotics, and other medications and so on. So these children can be helped. Homeopathy can be very, very helpful for these challenged children and families. And secondarily, you need to be patient. And these cases tend to be complex. Most of these children were exposed to many different things, Bad things happened during pregnancy, labor, and delivery, and they were born with predispositions. So, you know, a careful case history is necessary, mm-hmm. and somebody has to be skilled, the practitioner has to be skilled to work with all of these different aspects. But the child can definitely get better. And do you find it's helpful if the parents go for homeopathic treatment as well, or is that not essential? Mm-hmm. Well, I wouldn't call it essential, but it can be very helpful because you learn a lot more about what happened in their lives and what they were Mm. exposed to and and so on, right? So it can be very helpful, yeah. 
And I always like to finish up the episodes with asking my guests what your top three homeopathic remedies are for you personally and why. Like the ones I can't live without in my practice? Yeah, so the three you can't live without either in your practice or for you personally. Like if you had to choose three favorites, what would they be? Okay, that's easy. The first one is easy. Uh, aconite, aconitum napellus. I tell you, so many children benefit from this remedy and adults too because of trauma. Mm. Birth trauma, it's one of the top remedies. I have a whole slew of cases where the mother had some sort of a horrible experience during the delivery and needed aconite herself at the time and imprinted that state on the child. Mm. Now the child is 10 years old and has certain fears and anxieties. And it actually was the result of the mother's terrible experience during the delivery. Mm. And aconite, because you know it's a great remedy for shock and trauma, right? Who hasn't had trauma in their life? Mm. Who hasn't had bad news? Who hasn't seen something upsetting? Mm. You know, aconite, number one, Maybe Balladonna secondarily. <laughs> what else do I give a lot? Well, I know I wouldn't be able to work without Aconite. Probably mm-hmm. Belladonna. Mm-hmm. Gosh, Bryonia maybe. I mean, those are all common remedies. Bryonia mm-hmm. is a really interesting remedy. Maybe not so much in children, but it's a very commonly needed remedy because the uh, remedy uh, has an affinity for all the serous and mucous membranes in our body, right? Mm -hmm. And everything in and on our body is wrapped in serous or mucous membranes. So a lot of different things can can happen to us where we need support there. Mm -hmm. I mean, Arnica is another one that probably I wouldn't want to work without, right? Mm -hmm. Because of trauma again. Trauma is a common experience for people emotional trauma, physical trauma, animals too, right? You can help your pets mm-hmm. too. So those are probably some of the top remedies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you want to share a little bit about your recent use of Bryonia? Oh yeah, my recent <laughs> use of Bryonia. Well, I ended up with COVID if we want to believe that is the case and if we believe the PCR test is accurate, but I certainly had all the symptoms. If it wasn't COVID, it was just a bad flu. Mm-hmm. So in any case, I came down with this fever, coughing, and horrible, horrible headache. And I just wanted to lie still in bed and do nothing. And I recognized the symptoms almost immediately. The coughing shook my whole body and felt really uncomfortable. Okay, quickly, Bionia, relief in like two, three minutes. Mm-hmm. So just love it, magic. So it was a few days of that um, experience where I really just wanted to be left alone and not move and just lie there and sweat, you know, in bed. <laughs> I must have sweated gallons. I actually felt kind of good. I feel pretty good now. So Bionia was great, but I would wake up at night. Uh, Bionia is known for dryness of the membranes, okay? So I would wake up at night with my mouth open and completely dry, dry as dust, dry Mm -hmm. as the desert. Like there was no moisture at all in my mouth. You know, it was shocking actually. Mm -hmm. And it was like typical Bionia, dry mucous membranes. And it was dry, yeah. (laughs) completely dried out my skin was so dry my eyeballs were dry like I could wow. barely get my eyes open they were so dry you know I'm like oh this is bionia I'm now completely mm-hmm. dried out <laughs> and that's the thing often people will say oh homeopathy <laughs> takes such a long time to act but when oh. it's an acute situation and you give a remedy you can often have relief within a minute or two it's way faster than pharmaceutical really? medication like which can often take you know like 15 or 20 minutes for say sure. paracetamol to kick in a homeopathic remedy can work in a minute or two if it's the correct one and used correctly it's amazing. I mean, it happened yeah. to me so many times. 
at the moment, my practice is mostly online and it's worldwide, by the way. I have clients all over the world, including in Australia uh-huh. and as far away as Pakistan, Jakarta and wow. Finland, Sweden and, and England and now one in Greece. That's an interesting story too. <laughs> so, but when I still had mostly in-person clients, if somebody came in with an acute situation, I would often give them a remedy and check my check the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. So it's three or five, three minutes later. How are you feeling now? Oh, better. <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Hey, it's amazing. I know for uh, my daughter for sore tummies, Nux Vomica, under a minute, oh, yeah. under a minute. It's my husband's awesome. the same, Nux Vomica, under a minute, tummy pain gone. <laughs> now, Anka, yeah. how can people get hold of you? And are you still taking on new clients? Yeah, I do. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find me through my website at www.ankezimmerman, that's A N K E. Z I M M E R M A N N to N dot net dot net. Had okay. to get the extra so, N in there. <laughs> yes, because I'm from Germany originally, and uh, the man is was two N at the oh, end. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. And uh, I I do take clients, and I enjoy seriously. I actually really enjoy these difficult, complicated cases. Mm. There's something weird about my brain. It likes that stuff. I mean, I love to help people, obviously, and helping children with these issues is really Mm -hmm. rewarding because you're really able to do a lot for the family, right? Mm -hmm. But part of the fun for me, of course, is just the whole, you know what it's like, the whole Mm -hmm. figuring out the mystery, right? Like Mm -hmm. the mystery, it's the hunt, it's the hunt for the right remedy. And I'm often up to this day, I usually work up my my files on average two to four hours of uh, research at the beginning. When uh, when I take the case and the parents give me all the information I'm asking for, Mm. I sit there and, you know, reference and Mm -hmm. I repertorize and I look at it and meditate on it. And that's all part of the excitement for Mm me. We definitely have the best jobs in the world. It's such a good job. <laughs> it really is. Right? It's impossible to get bored, that's for sure. You well, never know what you're going to get next. It's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Anka, I just want to thank you with all my heart for your time today and for the work that you're doing to help so many families worldwide and the difference that you're not only just making in that child's life, but in that whole family and also in their whole community. Because let's face it, when you have a child with developmental or behavioral issues in a classroom, it's not just that family unit that's disrupted. It's that whole class. It's that whole school. And then when you can make a difference, it just Mm. has these beautiful ripple effects everywhere. So please keep doing what you're doing. And I hope we get to chat again very soon. Thank you. That was so lovely being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was so nice to meet you. And so your work's also so important. I'm glad you're doing this podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. I, it's basically an excuse to get to chat to cool people like you. So <laughs> the pleasure's all mine. <laughs> well, have a wonderful time. I think it's uh, evening. There's probably about bedtime for you. So um, yeah, all the best. Thank you. Same to you.